You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now remember, chapter 1 last week, the theme was defeating the flesh. Defeating the flesh. Now that theme spills over here to chapter 2. But before we get into that, why don't we pray? Let's, let's prepare our hearts. Father, we, 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 we open our hearts to you this morning. We surrender ourselves to you this morning. And when we pray that, that your word would speak to your people. We haven't come here to look for, for the opinion of man, uh, to, to, get, to get the quote of the day. Uh, Lord, we're, we're, we're here, Lord, for you. We want to hear from you. We want your word to speak to the hearts of your people through your spirit. Lord, maybe some of us in this place need to be challenged. Maybe we need to be comforted. Maybe we need to be rebuked. Maybe we need to, 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 to have that, that, that word come alongside us and, 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 and be there with us. But Lord, you know exactly what each and every heart needs to hear. So our hearts are open. We pray that your word would speak and that we would, we, we would re- receive what you have for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, as we start, let me see if you can, if you can help me finish this, this very, very well-known phrase, okay? So, so I'm going to do my part. You're going to do yours, right? So I'm going to kick it off, but then you've got to finish this, right? So very well-known phrase. Ready? Uh, out with the old and... In with the new, that's right. Very well-known phrase. Out with the old, in with the new. And of course, that's that's a very popular phrase, especially this time of year, right? With New Year's uh, resolutions and the whole thing. But that phrase, out with the old, in with the new, is much more than just a, a New Year's resolution. Really, it's a major theme throughout the scriptures. A major theme. For example, Jesus in Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Likewise, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so out with the old, in with the new. And we see this over and over and over. Uh, the, in, in the scriptures, we, we read about new wineskins, new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new work, a new song, and now in this morning's chapter, a new king. God is done with the old king. He's done with Saul, and he now raises up David to be the new king. So it's out with the old, in with the new, but this morning's passage reminds us that the old isn't going to give up without a fight. And so now as we pick up the first seven verses, we see that, that first of all, this is a chapter of contrast, a chapter of contrast. Verse 1, it says, After David inquired of the Lord, uh, he said, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, To which one should I go? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, every one with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came there, and, and, and there they anointed David to be king over the house of Judah. And when they told David that that it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you have shown this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and, and, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you, because you've done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And so it's literally out with the old, in with the new. As this tells us that Saul's dead, and now Judah has anointed David to be the next king. And really this, as I mentioned, is a chapter of contrast. It's, it's old versus new. It's, 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 it's David versus Saul. It's, it's, the, it's the old king versus the new king. 
Now, keep in mind, uh, for the last four decades, the nation of Israel has been led by a, by a very carnal king, King Saul. But now they're about to be led by a man who the Bible says had a heart after God, a heart after God's own heart. Now, by the way, another contrast between David and Saul is that in 1 Samuel chapter 28, we read that Saul inquired of the witch of Endor. He went and got counsel, got direction for his life from the witch of Endor. But then in contrast, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that that David inquired of the Lord. In fact, that's exactly how this chapter starts. Chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, verse 1, it says, And after this, David inquired of the Lord. So one inquired of a witch, the other inquired of the Lord. Now, by the way, that word inquired, shachal, is the Hebrew. It's a word that that not only means to ask or to, to seek direction, but it literally means to ask with intensity. To ask with intensity. It's like you're a five-year-old at Walmart begging for candy. Mama, 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 you know, just just with intensity. The idea is 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 you are asking with passion. It could literally be translated beg or plead. You see, the picture was was that was that David not only sought God, but he sought him with intensity. He sought him with all of his heart. You might say that he didn't just say his prayers, he prayed his prayers. Corey Temboom once asked a, a very pointed question. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Well, for David, it was the whole car. His whole life was hinged on this. He was a man who sought God and sought God with intensity. And as a result, verse 4 and verse 7 say that Judah had anointed David as their king. Now that word anointed, it's a word that, that the, the Bible uh, kind of uses to, to, to say that, 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 that there was a process involved. The process would be uh, that, that you would take them, uh, whoever you're anointing, and, 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 and smear oil on them. Now the oil in the scripture would, was, was to serve as a reminder of the Holy Spirit. It was, you know, it was, it was to remind you of, of his presence in your life. So they would smear that oil on you and, and, and it was sort of a way of recognizing that, that, that God had set you apart for his work. That there was a plan, there was a purpose. God had set you apart for his work. And so by anointing David, they were really recognizing the fact that God's anointing was already on David. They, they saw God's anointing on David, so now they anoint him with oil. But now keep in mind, this is now actually the second time David's been anointed. You may remember some 15 years before this, when David was, was maybe 15 or, or 16 years old, the youngest of eight, the prophet Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse, where he would then find among Jesse's sons the man who would be the next king of Israel. So they parade Jesse's sons one by one from oldest to youngest. They parade them before the prophet, but, but, he, but, but he couldn't find the, 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 the one that God had called. So they bring in the firstborn. His name is Eliab. They bring him in, and, and, and Samuel thinks, well, that's got to be the king. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He looks like a king. He looks just like Saul. He's the perfect replacement for Saul. But the problem was that God was not looking for Saul's replacement. God was looking for his man who had his heart. And so he rejects Eliab, and then he rejects this son and that son, because it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then comes in the runt of the litter, the youngest of eight. And the only thing that the scripture can actually say about him is that he was, quote unquote, ruddy. 
It says in, 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 in 1 Samuel 16, verses 12 and 13, it says, So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And so in these verses, we see that, that on the one hand, Samuel anointed David with oil. But on the other hand, it was much more than just being anointed with oil because the next verse then says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, telling us that he wasn't just anointed by oil, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And, and, and by the way, it's at this point that the scripture now makes another very interesting contrast between Saul versus David. Because in that verse, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, but then the very next verse, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, goes on to say, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And so on the one hand, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, but on the other hand, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. We have this contrast and, and, and keep in mind, in those days, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit didn't necessarily dwell inside of believers like he does in this age, in the so-called church age. But rather, the Holy Spirit would come upon a, a select believer to empower him and, 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 and give him the ability to do what God had called him to do. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David, but the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. Now, I think there's an application. I think there's a lesson for us. By the way, uh, years ago at a dentist's office in Kentucky, there was this poster on the door that said, ignore your teeth and they'll go away. Now, we might wonder, well, why was that poster on a dentist's office in Kentucky? Well, because did you know, and this is an actual fact, that Kentucky has the highest percentage of, uh, of adults without teeth in the whole United States? A lot of people ignoring their teeth. Well, in the same way, Saul reminds us that, that if you ignore the Holy Spirit, he'll go away. And that's what Saul did. He kept on ignoring the Holy Spirit. He ignored the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. He ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He, he ignored the rebuke of the Holy Spirit. And because he kept ignoring the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit ignored him and departed from him. And there's a lesson for us. We're reminded of Galatians 3, verse 3, that says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You cannot finish in the flesh that which was begun in the Spirit. But that's what Saul was trying to do. He was trying to finish in the flesh, and so God rejected him. And so it's out with the old, and it's in with the new. David's the new king. But, as we pick it up now in verses 8 through 11, we, we now look at the rise of two kingdoms. Not one kingdom, not David's kingdom, the rise of two kingdoms. Verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of, of, of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Machanim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was the king over Hebron, over the house of, of Judah, was seven years and six months. So now this section starts in, 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 in verse 8 with the word but. It's a contrast word. It's telling us that on the one hand, David was, was just anointed as the, as the new king in Judah, 
but in contrast, Abner. But Abner. Now, who's Abner? Well, as it says, remember, back in 1 Samuel, we saw that Abner was, was the commander of Saul's army. Really, he, he was Saul's right-hand man. But also, according to 1 Kings chapter 2, Abner was also Saul's cousin. Now, you may remember that, 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 that there seemed to be a feud between David and Abner. You may remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 26, Abner was the one that David called out, that David had publicly embarrassed. You remember the story, uh, in the middle of the night when everyone was asleep, David snuck into the, into the camp of Saul and he snuck in and stole Saul's spear. He could have killed him with it. He, he runs off with the spear. The next day he calls out to, to, to Saul's camp and he says, look, I've got Saul's spear. And then he says, hey, Abner, you had one job. Your job was to protect the king. You know, I could have come in there and, and, and killed him with his own spear. You had one job and you failed. You kind of suck at your job. And so there was like, like no love lost between these two. And so now with that, Abner is not about to let David take over the rest of the nation without him trying to do something about it. Because again, Abner for, for years and years was, was, was Saul's right-hand man. And so that means for, for the last four decades, for the last 40 years, Abner's been in this position of influence, really this position of control over the king. And he's not about to give up that control at least not without a fight. So now what does he do? He raises up the last remaining son of Saul. His name's Ishbosheth. Now, this brings up a question. Remember, at the end of 1 Samuel, we saw that Saul's sons died in battle, right? They, Saul died in battle and his sons died with them. So now we wonder, well, 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 well why, why is this son still alive? Why didn't he die in battle with the rest of Saul's sons, with the, with the rest of his brothers? Answer, because he wasn't in the battle. Here's an interesting insight, a little tidbit. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 33, write that down. 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 33. We're told that his original name, his birth name was Eshbaal. Not, 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 not Ishbosheth, his original name, his birth name was Eshbaal. In fact, it's believed that Ishbosheth was actually a nickname. And it was probably a nickname given to him by his father. And the reason it's believed it's a nickname is because the name Ishbosheth literally means man of shame, shameful man. And, and, and scholars believe that, that, that this son was, was, was Saul's least favorite son. In fact, he viewed him with so much shame, with so much scorn, he refused to take him into battle with him. And that, by the way, is why he's still alive. And so now Abner comes along, and, and again, he's determined not to let David take control of the whole nation. So he raises up the despised son, the, the rejected son, the, 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 the shameful son of Saul. And he comes to Ishbosheth, and he's like, you know what? He's like, even, even, though, even though you weren't your dad's favorite, even though you know, your dad wasn't proud of you, I always was. You always were my favorite little nephew. So tell you what, why don't the two of us? Get together and put a stop to David. He's trying to become the king of the whole nation. Let's, let's put a stop to that. You and I, we can stop the whole thing. So he raises up Ishbosheth. Verse 10 tells us that, that Ishbosheth then reigned for two years over, over Israel. But then what's interesting is verse 11 says that David reigned for seven years, six months. Seven and a half years. Now we pull out our calculators real quick and we're like, you know what? That does not add up. The math isn't mathing. So what's going on? 
Well, what, what, what's going on is this. What, what happened was, was that after the death of Saul, uh, quite frankly, the people of, of Judah were tired of Saul. They were ready for a new king. And so they immediately recognized that God's anointing is on David's life, so they now crown him to be their king. That happened immediately. But meanwhile, up north, it seemed to take five years for, for the despised son, the rejected son, the shameful son of King Saul to win the people over. And so while, while David's down reigning in Judah for five years, meanwhile, it seems that Abner has, has, has Ishbosheth on the campaign trail trying to win over the rest of the nation. And so now after five years of campaigning, finally, he's now become the king of, of the north, the king of Israel. And he's now been reigning for two years. And so what we have is one nation ruled by two kings. One nation ruled by two kings. And it's about to erupt into an all-out civil war. But that civil war is kind of thwarted by what you might call Abner's and Joab's representative battle that we read about now as we pick it up in verse 12. Verse 12. Abner, the son of Ner, he's the one that invented that stuff that makes your hair disappear when you pour it on Ner. Uh, Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from, uh, went out from Machanim to, to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the servants of David, went out to meet them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on, on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. Now, that word compete, by the way, it's very important. It's a word that, that implies hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's important. Then it goes on and it says, and Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and they pass over by number 12 for, for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the, the, the son of Saul, and 12 for the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in, into his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkat Hazurim, which is, is at Gibeon. And, and, and the battle was very fierce in that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And so again, there's about to be this all-out civil war between the north and the south when all of a sudden that's kind of thwarted uh, by, by basically uh, Abner and, 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 and Joab deciding, hey, you know what? Rather than have an all-out civil war, let's, let's just kind of have like, a, like an MMA showdown of sorts. You know, a representative battle. You know, kind of like what happened with, with David and Goliath, where David represented the entire nation of Israel and Goliath represented all of the Philistines. And so whoever won, uh, then, then that meant that their whole nation won. It was a representative battle. So that's what's happening here. But now it, it's not one on one. It's 12 on 12. Why 12? Well, one representative for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, in, in effect, they're saying, hey, listen, each one of us is going to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, so if, if we win, then our guy that we're representing will be the king of the whole nation. He'll be the king of all 12 tribes. But if you guys win, who you're representing, well, then, 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 then he'll be the king of the whole nation. He'll be the king of all 12 tribes. So it was a representative battle. And as I mentioned, it was, it was implied that it was hand-to-hand -hand combat, but evidently something went wrong. Because, because this battle, when it says that they were to compete hand-to-hand -hand combat, you know, basically like a, like a fight to the death, like a UFC fight, a cage fight, but fight to the death with your hands. Something goes wrong because the name of the place was called after this Helkat Hazurim, which literally is translated field of daggers. 
And it's believed, it's implied that, 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 that perhaps during this hand-to-hand combat, a couple of the guys evidently had some daggers hit up their sleeves and started stabbing and started slicing. In other words, somebody cheated. And now as a result, things go from bad to worse. This representative battle now erupts into something else. And so now we pick it up in verse 18. And it says, the three sons of Zeruiah were Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was swift as, a, was swift as foot as a gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him, and he said, Is that you, Asahel? And he answered and said, It is I. And and Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground, and, and how can I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him with the, in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out his back. And there he fell and, and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. So now it, 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 we, we, we see we've got, we've got this, this whole thing. It starts off as a representative battle and now it's a pursuit. And it says that Asahel was, was as fleet of foot as a gazelle. So basically, he's a, he's a, he's a track star, right? He, he basically put on his Hoka Mach 5s and his compression shorts, and he's, he's, he's taking off after these guys. He's sprinting off after him, and he's thinking, you know what? He's like, you know what? Abner might have a head start, but there's no way he's faster than me. I'm going to, you know, I, I, he's no way, no way he's going to outrun me. So he's running and running and running. But, but Abner, meanwhile, knows that, that Asahel is, 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 is more of a runner than he is a fighter. And so not once, but two different times, he tries to warn him to turn away. He's like, you know what? I don't want this to happen. I don't want to kill you. You know, stop. You know, go, go and hunt someone else down. But nevertheless, uh, one thing leads to another. Uh, uh, Abner comes to a complete stop, puts out his spear, and Asahel's running so fast, he goes right through it. And so we go from, 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 from uh, a representative battle to now a pursuit, and now things erupt even a little bit more as we pick up in verse 24, and it says, but Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. The, the tense of that word pursued means it never stopped. It's a pursuit that never ended. So Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. As the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which lies uh, before Gia uh, on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from their pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would have not given up their pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah, and they crossed the Jordan, marching the whole morning until they came to Mahanim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and, and, and when he gathered all the people together, uh, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And, 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 and they took up Asahel, and they buried him in the tomb of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and, and, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. And so what we see is, is it starts off as a representative battle, 12 on 12, uh, each one fighting for, 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 for their side. But then that uh, erupts into something else because there was cheating, and then there becomes a pursuit. Now the pursuit leads to a murder. And now with that, now it, it says that, that Joab and Abishai pursue Abner. 
Now, what's happening is, is, is they're pursuing him because of an Old Testament law known as the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood. You see, the avenger of blood is a law that basically says that, that when someone is killed, when someone is murdered, then it then becomes the responsibility of the nearest living male relative to avenge that person's blood, meaning that you will hunt them down and you won't stop hunting them down until you find them and avenge your loved one's blood. And so they put that pursuit on pause. They, 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 they put it on pause for now, but we're going to see that this spills over for the next handful of chapters. It's kind of a sub-theme in, in, in the next handful of chapters. They keep pursuing. And so it starts off, it's a, it's a representative battle that's gone wrong. There was cheating, there was a pursuit, and now it ends in a blood feud. Now that's their representative battle, but now I want us to pick it up in chapter three, verse one, and look at our representative battle. And by the way, keep in mind, in the original manuscripts, there were no chapter numbers and verse numbers. Those were added later so that we could find our way through the Bible. But in the original, chapter two and chapter three went together. And so chapter three, verse one, it just says, there was, there was a long war be, 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 between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So ultimately what we see is, is that this was not a war between uh, David and Abner. This was a war between David and Saul, the house of David and the house of Saul. Now keep in mind, for, 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 for the last 15 years, David's been on the run. He, he's been running from Saul. He's been hiding for Saul. And now Saul is, is finally dead and buried, and yet this war with Saul still lives on. The house of David and the house of Saul. You know, and listen, I'm sure that David thought when, when he finally got crowned as the king, all his problems would be over. I'm sure he thought that when he was finally crowned as a king, there'd be no more sorrows, no more struggles with, 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 with Saul, no more running, no more hiding, no more battles with Saul. And yet... Saul's dead and David's still struggling with the house of Saul. The battle continues. In the same way, you know, some of us, you know, as Christians, sometimes we think, you know what, now that I've given my life to Christ, you know, there's, there's going to be no more struggles with sin. You know, there's going to be no more temptation, no more, no more battles with the flesh. <laughs> and other naive things we first believed. Yeah, but how many of you have discovered that, that, that as a Christian, you're going to continue to keep battling those, those old cravings, those old desires, those old addictions over and over and over, perhaps even more than ever? Because the truth of the matter is that just as there was one nation being, 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 being ruled by two kings, two kings within that one nation that were at war with each other, in the same way, you and I, now that we've come to Christ, it's like we've got two kingdoms in us at war with each other. You know, we talked about this last week. Uh, the Bible teaches that as a Christian, we now have two natures, the old you and the new you, the, the inner man and the outer man. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You are a new creation, but the problem is that your old creation is still alive and kicking. And the old creation and the new creation still fight with one another. You have these two natures and, and they're at battle with one another. Some of you are looking at me like, I've never had those struggles, Pastor. Well, you might not have had those struggles, but the Apostle Paul certainly did. Remember, the Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but cannot carry it out. For, for, for what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
And, and so the Apostle Paul described how, how he's got these two natures, the sinful nature and the spiritual nature, the, the old me and the new me inside battling with one another. He's saying, you know what, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, but the thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the more I want to do the thing I want to do, the more I do the thing I don't want to do. You read it really fast and it says, do, do, because that's how you feel. And really what Paul's confronting is, is, is this tendency that most of us have uh, to, to, quite frankly, try to conquer our flesh with nothing but sheer willpower. I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, and doggone it, I think I can do it. You thought I was going to say something else. You know, I, I have the power. I, I, I can do this. You know, we, 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 we boldly this time of year make some kind of New Year's resolution. We boldly stand up and proclaim, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this and, and I'm no longer going to do that. I'm going to start doing this. And then a matter of, of hours or days or weeks, we, we break those very vows probably more than one time. Why? Because willpower can't do it. But Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That verse is telling us that the key to spiritual victory, the key to victory over the flesh is that the flesh has to die. In fact, the Bible says we die to the flesh daily. And so in this chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, that David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now, if David uh, represents growing in the spirit, well, then Saul would represent growing in the flesh. And listen, if, 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 you, if you feed the spirit, well, then it stands to reason you're going to grow in the spirit, right? But at the same time, if you feed the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, uh, if you feed the passions of the flesh, well, then you're going to grow in the flesh, I told you before about the Native American who, who gave his life to Christ and became a Christian. And he's now talking about how, he has, how it feels like now as he's a Christian, he's got two natures that live in him, an old and a new. So he's telling his grandson that, 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 you know, now that I'm a Christian, it's like I have two dogs that live inside me now, an old dog and a new dog. He says the old dog is, is mean and vicious and he's, and, and he's hard and sinful. But then the new dog is, is one who walks after Christ and the things of Christ. He says, but they're constantly fighting inside of me to, to gain control over me. His grandson says, well, well, which one wins? And he smiles and says, the one that wins is the one that I feed. If you don't want the flesh to win, stop feeding the flesh. If you want victory in the spirit, start feeding the spirit. Now check this out. This book, the Bible, this is soul food. It feeds your soul. The, the, the more you read it, the, the more you eat it, the more, the, more, the more you crave it, the more you want it. It's, it's food for the soul. Job 23, uh, 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In fact, over and over, the Bible describes itself figuratively as food. You know, first of all, the Bible is called bread. You remember Luke 4, verse 4, it says, But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, it was written, by the way, the first time in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where it says that he might make you know uh, that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's bread. And then later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, also Hebrews chapter 5, uh, they talk about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. And so the Bible, the word of God, it's, it's bread, it's milk, and it's meat. It's like the whole meal deal. And there's even dessert. 
It's sweet. It says in Psalm 119, verse 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's, it's, it's bread, it's milk, it's meat, and it's dessert. It's the whole meal deal. Now, we, we've all heard the old saying, you are what you eat. And so if you eat healthy, you are healthy. And so if you, if you eat trash and eat garbage, well, then you're not healthy, right? And, and so it stands to reason that if you want to grow in the spirit, then you've got to stop feeding on fleshly junk food. If you want to grow in the spirit, you need to feed your spirit some soul food. I think Pastor Chuck Smith was right years ago when he said, you cannot grow spiritually without the word of God because you only grow on spiritual food. Or as it's been well said, his word is food for the soul. The more you read it, the more you grow. And so listen, if, if, if you want victory in the spirit, then you've got to feed the spirit. Amen? So Father, we thank you that it is out with the old and in with the new. Because of your work on the cross, you, you're doing a new work in us. But for that new work to really take place, we need to die to the old. We need to die to the flesh. Maybe it means we, need, we have some relationships we need to die to. Maybe we have some habits we need to die to. A thought process, some guilt, some shame that we need to die to. Maybe some addictions we need to die to. But every one of us in this room needs to be a dead man walking. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Help us to turn away from the old and embrace the new because you have come to make all things new. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.